You're listening to episode 59 of the Urban Yogi Podcast with Edward Dangerfield. Edward Dangerfield is a dear friend of mine, and he's also been a great mentor for me, like an older brother. He's a breathwork, movement, and meditation specialist. Edward is trained in nervous system health, Chinese massage and pressure points, breathwork, nerve flossing, qigong, biofield energy healing, yoga, and meditation. He constantly studies modern approaches to anatomy, physiology, neuroscience, and developmental patterns. Having been caught in an avalanche and suffering from PTSD, Edward went on a path to discover how to heal himself. Edward is passionate about using breathwork and movement to heal the nervous system based on his own lived experience, research, training, and years of clinical practice. Edward is the founder of Biology of Breath and Breathwork Bali. He has spoken at various hospitals, schools, and conferences to promote the power of breathing to create balance in life. He also runs retreats and trainings. I invited Edward to speak to my men's group, Manhood Tribe, a couple weeks ago, and we spoke about breathwork and as it relates to men's work and how really how we breathe in life is how we think because it influences the way that the glands secrete. I hope you enjoy this live interview with Mr. Edward Dangerfield. She broke your throne and cut your hair and from your lips she Good to go. How's it going, Ed? It's going really well, Will. Thanks, awesome. uh, thanks so much for the invitation to be here, and good morning, um, brothers. It's uh, a real honor to, to share, especially 10.15 in Bali, so it's like evening. I've just fully activated myself. I'm not going to be able to sleep for hours now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And what city are you in again in Bali? So I'm in a city, well, it's like a town, it's a beach town, it's called Changgu, which is spelled C-A-N-G-G-U, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tropical paradise for sure. That's awesome. And have you, have you had any durians lately? You know what's hysterical? I, uh, there's a durian stand that I drive past almost every day, and every time I drive past it and I smell it, it immediately reminds me of you. It's like... Aww. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> well, bless. Yeah, bless. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, durian is is a fucking gnarly fruit uh, here in the tropics. That um, it's it's actually it's it's forbidden to open it and carry it in certain areas, especially in Singapore. They're quite religious. It's like it's it's really potent, very very strong. Strong. It's but the taste. I just love the taste. It's very nuanced and. Uh, you can actually get frozen durian at the TNT market here in Vancouver. And if you ever want to try it, get the red package in the freezer at the TNT market. Make sure it's the red package. It's the most high quality durian. It's frozen and it like, tastes like a popsicle. And in some places in Asia, it's used as an aphrodisiac. So couples, you know, on their first date, they'll go for durian, like a durian smoothie, because it kind of gets, it makes me really horny. I don't know about you, Edward, but I, I get really horny when I have it. I'm massively repulsed by it. I'm like, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's so foul and offensive, but then at the same time you go back for more. Right. You know, it's, you're like, oh, that's so, that's so gross and weirdly sexual and animalistic. And then I give it another smell. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Why, why can I not stop smelling this thing? It's really it's, not enjoyable. It's crazy because I was with, uh, I brought a girl down to Bali um, to teach a workshop and like, you know, I'm pretty homo flexible, but then I ate durian and all I wanted to do was eat her out. It's crazy. That's beautiful, bro. Like, yeah, it just makes me want to eat pussy. The power of nature. I know, right? On yeah. that note, <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in men's work and breath work. And let's get into a little bit about like how you breathe is how you think. I just love that teaching of yours. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, bro. So I guess uh, long story short, I've been on a curious path of yoga for, for many years um probably like 15 years and i was living in the mountains in whistler which is the, the bc connection here and um about six years ago i was caught in an avalanche and um just basically suffered from ptsd and, and my life went down the pan i went from being uh at the time i was a restaurant owner and uh just basically uh spiraled 
went into some deep anxiety and then depression and then alcoholism uh, to the to the point where I almost took my life. And there was this this moment where I was standing in the middle of a four lane highway in Peru, eight beers deep, and I was looking, I was staring down a bus, and and it was going to win, and I knew it, and uh, and I took a deep breath, and I was like, there's got to be another way, something has to change, and so I uh, I basically I made a commitment to myself. I was kind of blessed that I'd, I'd sold out of the restaurant. With, uh, with my health issues, I couldn't continue and I decided to make some changes. I sold out and my business partners bought me out. So I had a, a lump sum of money in the bank and I was like, I'm going to fucking spend all of this on healing. And, uh, and then when it's gone, then I'll contemplate killing myself again. <laughs> but until this money's gone and until I've pursued every avenue that I can, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to quit right now. And I mean, it was like, a, some would call it grace. I, I curled up in a ball and I cried for about five hours that night. And it was just a huge outpouring of emotion. It was, it was so much that I'd stored within myself. So I went on this path to discover more about PTSD and discover more about trauma. And so I started studying the work of Gabor Mate and Peter Levine, Vessel van der Poel, and some of the top trauma healers in North America. And I started to explore the different modalities of, of ways we could heal and how trauma got stored in the nervous system, in the limbic system, in cells and tissues. And I basically went down avenues of exploring Chinese massage and manipulation, Chinese philosophy, and all of these different realms. And um, I was really deep into healing work at the time where I met uh, Robin Clements, who became my breathwork teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, I studied alongside and then and studied under and then taught alongside Robin. And yeah, when I discovered breathwork, it was just like I went into a workshop and it was at my local yoga studio. I had no idea what breathwork was. I was like, oh, I've done some pranayama. You know, I know, I know a little bit about Kundalini yoga. And I went in and I, you know, Robin's a medicine man. It's like, he's a phenomenal space holder. And there was only like six of us there. So it was, it was, it was like very small and intimate. I just got absolutely opened up. I was super activated. Um, and, uh, it was, it was transformational. And I was just like, at the end of it, I was like, I, I felt like I almost died, but I was so clear again because I'd gone through a full fight flight response. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, fuck, I've got to learn this. This is amazing. Like immediately, it wasn't like, there was no, like, there was no like durian repulsion. It was like, this is something really cool. And, uh, and, and so <laughs> that was, that was it. That was my, my intro to breathwork. So, nice. but how many years ago was that now, Edward? So uh, that would be about four years ago now. Oh. And at that point, I was, I was already working like in a clinic full time, working with trauma. And, um, and so it kind of gave me the, the half of the wheel. It was like I had all of the spokes. I had like all of the cognitive pieces. I had talk therapy. I had some other, other modalities, massage and trauma aware massage. And then suddenly it was like breathwork got dropped in. And it was like, oh, that's, that's the hub. That's the center of all of everything else that everyone's talking about around trauma. Yes. And um, so then I, I, it's been, I don't know, like a lot of people. I've breathed thousands of people now. I mostly work here in, in, in Bali. I work in a clinic. Uh, so I work four days a week. Uh, I work five hours of treatment a day. So 20 hours of breathwork, which is a pretty steady load. And I breathe people in one and two hour sessions. We do some talk therapy before and then some breath work and then a little kind of recap afterwards. Um, and, you know, circling back to the final part of your initial question was, was around uh, how we breathe is how we think. And so with time, we've been able to correlate subconscious breathing pattern with patterns of behavior and thought pattern. So it's, it's also how we breathe is how we live. So when I look at someone's subconscious breathing pattern, I can see if they breathe into their roots or if they don't. That's going to give me an indication if, if, they're, if they're living a grounded life, if they're living from a place of, of, of groundedness. And then we can see all different patterns. We can see if they're going to self-sabotage. We can see if they're an overachiever. We can see how much control they have, depending on how they're holding the throat. So we can literally lie someone on a treatment table and read their, their behavior. And it's alarmingly accurate. And uh, it's actually a really useful tool around like friendships, business, and of course, romantic relationship. It's like, okay, uh, you want to go on a date? Sure. Let me just check your subconscious breath pattern first to ensure you don't have any really interesting behavioral characteristics that are 
layered on top of that beautiful heart. Nice. And by breathing into the roots, do you mean um, like breathing, like David Data talks about breathing down the front of the body, like into the genitals, into the, into the, you know, the lower gland so that they kind of bulge a bit on the inhale. Is that kind of like breathing into the roots? Yeah, totally. I think there's a, seems to be an intersection between, um, you know, Mantak Chia's sexual Kung Fu, Kung Fu, David Data, the teachings of Kundalini, and then sort of conscious connected breathing. What we're seeking is to ensure that the pelvic floor is, is actually moving, is pulsing. And in conscious connected breathing, we have an activation where we use the round of the facilitator's knee pressed into the perineum. And what that does is it, it actually allows the breath to travel up through there. Now, to self-facilitate that, we can actually use our own heel. So uh, we can actually lie on our back and bring the heel of our left or right foot into our own perineum and then pull up on it and it will actually facilitate the, uh, uh, a, a round pressure into the perineum which allows the pelvic floor to start to move again I it's a bit of an interesting that, and i couldn't do it it's like how does edward do that <laughs> maybe it's my shin but being this is this is the first ever <laughs> zoom call i've done naked and while i'm talking about it i'm just gonna see if i can demonstrate it right here so this is like so liberating for me right now. So basically, we're going to bring the heel up right up into the perineum. Okay. And then we're just going to pull up on, on, the, on the top of the ankle. And that, obviously not standing up. I'm going to do it lying down. I'm doing it first. Standing for your purposes. But lying down, lying down, that will actually, it's the first time I've demonstrated that ever and naked in front of men. It's amazing. So we just pull up and what the heel, the round of the heel will actually press into the perineum. And then we can just, and if we just breathe down to that space or lying on our back, we're actually going to be able to fill the, the pelvic floor with breath. So you're holding your ankle the whole time you're breathing? It, yeah, for that, and that facilitation, I'd probably only do for about 30 seconds. And that's really enough to just bring conscious awareness and presence into that space for me. And I'm, I'm sure for most men. And it's just like, like most of the things that I practice, you know, to recover from severe emotional cognitive like distortion that I had with PTSD, it was just about steady daily practice. And, you know, now that I teach breath work and I work in a clinic, that's still my life. Like I had, I have an hour of morning practice and then throughout the day I'm going to do really fun stuff. And it's just, it's, it's how I continue to live. Nice. Yeah, so that's, that's the roots. And, you know, with the breath, we're really looking at the three diaphragms of breath. So the pelvic floor is one that we're focusing on with the teachings of sexual kung fu, which are obviously fucking awesome. And then the, the second diaphragm of breath is, is actually the, uh, the rib cage. And then the third is the vocal cords, which you can hear are coming together and apart. So these three diaphragms of breath are what I focus on. And the nervous system is, is directly attuned to them because our inhale activates us and our exhale relaxes us. So the balance of our inhale to our exhale is what's actually creating a greater sense of activation or relaxation. And that's where, you know, a tool like box breathing, which is going to be like a five-second inhale, five-second hold, five-second exhale, five-second hold, that's super balancing. We're balancing the two branches of the nervous system, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And so when we have a balanced breath like that, we're balancing the nervous system, balancing the emotional system, the endocrine system, which is paired with the nervous system, all of the glands through the central channel. But circling back to the diaphragms, another great thing that we can do is we can, is we can actually massage underneath the ribs. So we can get our hand and we can actually get it in under the ribs. Now, some of you will be able to get a good way up underneath the ribs, and some of you may have holding and tension in this area. So this is a, a way that we can actually free the diaphragm muscle, and it's kind of like using a, a, like a deep body work technique or rolfing. We can just get in right underneath the diaphragm, and if we do that whilst we're lying on our back breathing, we're going to notice that suddenly our, our rib cage can start to become a lot more expansive. We're freeing up the intercostal muscles and allowing more breath up into the heart space. Mm. How does the breathing, you're talking about breathing into like the certain glands, like you've talked about breathing into the coccygeal body between the anus and the coccyx and that it's not actually a gland, but it's kind of functions like a gland. 
Can you talk also about that, yeah. like how that relates? So it sounds like there's the there's the piece about making sure the diaphragms are open, you know, that the musculature is is loose to some degree, and then there's also like a piece about breathing into like certain glands to feel more neutral or grounded. Is that yeah, thank you, brother. So the essence really is that in the endocrine system with our glands, we can we can pair that directly to the chakras. So we can look at Western medicine glands and then you know, mysticism or yogic philosophy chakras. The seven energy centers directly correlate to, depending on the lineages that you study, for me and everything that we've studied with the team, we focus on the first chakra and the roots being the coccygeal body, the prostate's there as well. They're both changing function. In the second energy center, the dentien, which you were already speaking to, three fingers below the navel, that pearl blue, which is also related to the sex organs. And that's our, a source of energy for us. In the third energy center, we look at the adrenals. And then in the fourth, the thymus gland, the heart itself is also a gland. Thyroid and parathyroid and the pituitary and pineal gland, sixth and seventh chakras. So what, what essentially we look at is air is the, is the gaseous liquid, uh, gaseous substance that's going into the lungs. But breath can actually move beyond that because the diaphragm can move. And so breath can fill the hole of like right the way into the hips, the pelvic floor, right? So whilst the air itself is only moving into the lung space, when the diaphragm starts to move, a whole belly can expand and fill with breath. Mm. Now a gland will activate more if it's being massaged. And so the essence of this is, is really about where the breath is moving in the body will change the functioning of the gland. As an example, if we've got holding around the kidneys, the adrenals, and the liver, those glands may be under or over functioning. And similarly, any holding or unexpressed anger that's caught in the right-hand side of the throat, that's going to impact the thyroid and parathyroid glands. So how breath is moving through the body has, there's two impacts on the endocrine system. The first one is whether the gland is actually being massaged. And the second one is the two branches of the nervous system. So whether we're in more of an activated breath and less of a relaxed breath. And so what that means is, you know, if we've got a big voluminous inhale and a long, slow exhale, it's going to change the rhythm of the nervous system versus equality. So any holding in the throat, any holding and not letting go of the exhale, it's going to create more activation. So as an example, if we're working with someone who's an asthmatic, we're going to find like they're holding the throat, their exhale doesn't release, and it's probably holding through the, the compassion points along the shoulder blades as well. Tell me about that compassion point. Yeah, so working with a body map of emotions, um, and just to kind of preface all of this, like my, my title is nervous system specialist, which is very much grounded in Western science. I have a degree in economics originally, so I'm like super left brain logical. And then like someone gives me a body map of emotions and says this directly relates to every single emotion and illness in the body. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, maybe that's true. So I started doing some more reading in the likes of Caroline Miss and Louise Hay. And it's just like, okay, wow, everything is actually the same in all cultures. When we go back to mystical healing traditions and Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, it's all like, it's all the same. So the left-hand side of the body is feminine and about receiving, and the right-hand side of the body is masculine and about expression. So in the left-hand front of the shoulder, this is like forgiveness of myself, and this would be forgiveness of others. And so like, we can literally get into these points, and like, you can cross your hands over and feel into them. And it may be that one side is considerably tighter than the other. It may also be that if you breathe, and you, you just sort of drop into that space and start to breathe, you can use some affirmations and like, I forgive my mother and I forgive my father. Really great places to start. <laughs> I love that about your breath work. You often encourage people to use affirmations. You come and you intuitively press on certain uh, meridian points. And I've had some very, very powerful experiences in your circles. Um, Tell, tell me a little bit about breath work as it pertains to men's work and the importance. You've often said we heal in circle. Can you elaborate on yeah, that? Yeah, thank you. Brother. Yeah, so, I, you know, circling back to an initial question around how I, I came to men's work, um, I started sitting in, in circle with um, the elders in, in Chukcha Nation, just north of Lillard Lake, so north of Pemberton and north of Whistler. Um, and 
with an elder called Vern Glenchanos and um, Vern poor sweat lodge. And so I started to, basically I started to show up. <laughs> I was invited. And then I started to continuously show up. And I had this great honor of sitting with an elder. And, and uh, I grew up in the UK. So for me, it was like even more about, you know, reconciliation and, and deepening my understanding and learning. So I had this great honor and privilege to be able to sit in circle and to sit in sweat lodge and to understand a little bit more about these teachings. And so I started just inviting other men out. And then that kind of started to become a thing where it was just like, all right, now it was a group of men and now we're gonna go and camp. And so we ended up camping on native land and then working in this beautiful temple and doing cold water plunges in the glacial fed river and sweat lodge. And suddenly it was just like something that had just been my own practice evolved into like a few friends being invited, evolved into, now we're taking like small groups from Vancouver out there. And then it just became a thing that, you know, every spring and fall for the solstice, we would celebrate together as a group. Um, so that was sort of my initial into, into men's work. And also, you know, sitting in circle with Robin, Robin teaches in a, in a circular way. And so what became really powerful is just this recognition that we're all going through. And it's just like the, um, People, you know, they might follow me on Instagram or see what I'm doing right now. But on occasion, you know, when they hear my story and they recognize that I, I know darkness and I know what it is to feel totally disheartened. And I've been through, you know, a divorce and I've lost the business and I've almost gone bankrupt. And all of these things, you know, it's just like when I share my story, I just look around and people are nodding. And that helps me feel human. And I think it's through that humanness and that recognition that, like, this is part of the experience. I think it just really normalizes you know, everything for all of us. <laughs> and then the piece as well is like, for me, sharing is really powerful. A top-down approach is really powerful. Uh, you know, coaching, counseling, all of these things can be of use. The other piece that I really love is about um, bringing in a bottom-up approach, bringing in a somatic approach. So bringing in movement. And one of the things that, um, I've started to cultivate here in Bali. Actually, next next Monday will be my first men's group. It'll be 6 a.m. Uh, here, Bali time. We do a two-hour we do a two-hour thing. We do six until 8 a.m. And we're going to sit around a fire in circle. We're going to do some ecstatic dance. And uh, we're 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 wide open here. Like we can do workshops and go to restaurants. And like there's no there's no restrictions for us here. Like I've been saunering for the last like six weeks. It's hysterical. So anyway, we're still good for workshops. So yeah, next week we'll do our men's group and we'll circle up and we'll sit in circle and and we'll share authentically and uh, yeah, we'll we'll get deep into it and just that recognition that we're all we're all finding our way and all walking each other home. Nice man. Sometimes when I'm doing breath work, I will um, whether it's in your circle or by myself um, or at other other workshops, I'll start to feel things that may or may not be mine. Um, and I had a woman on my podcast a few weeks ago named Tara Bianca, and she was talking about sort of as an empath, how sometimes we have to set boundaries and remind ourselves that we're, it's kind of like not my monkeys, not my circus. Like we, we're, uh, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So I'm just wondering, what's your take on boundaries and breath work? And when you sense that something is yours, like sometimes, like I was doing breath work in your circle up in Pemberton, and I started to like feel this whole thing about what my ancestors had likely done to the First Nations people when they came over and uh, that piece, that reconciliation piece. And I started to get extremely emotional just at all the abuse that has happened by my ancestors towards First Nations people. And I started to feel it and like start to process it. And it's, it's quite intense. I'm just wondering, like, where, where does the boundary lie? Like, because I know you've said before, sometimes when you're in breath work, you're not only healing yourself or processing for yourself, you're processing for the circle and perhaps even a larger uh, group of people. Yeah, thank you, bro. I, mean, I think there's sort of two pieces that come on. It's like, I'm really clear on what's mine and what's yours. And that's just like a practice. And, and I, I know what's my shit. I know what's everyone else's in the circle. And, I, I'll stand in the middle of a 16 person circle and with practice, I have the capacity to, to actually be able to feel what's going on with each endocrine system. And that's 
that's not a, a gift that I have. It is not, I'm not unique in that. I can teach anyone to do that. In fact, I'm teaching people to do that right now here in Bali. There's amazing practitioners that are coming through the program there. And the essence really is about boundaries. It's the recognition of when I'm getting triggered and it's bringing something up in me. So like if someone else is screaming in the circle, you know, and I've got unresolved trauma around a high-pitched female voice, it's going to trigger me. And so what that does is it gives me an opportunity to process out those emotions that are within me that are unresolved. So we heal in circle by somebody else bringing up something for us. And so, you know, it could be that a man starts just going off and raging and it triggers every woman in the circle. And, you know, I've witnessed that where then, you know, there's, there's all sorts of projections to that man who's making noise and saying how they felt unsafe. And I'm like, great, what's it bringing up for you? And then we go into that and we start to unpack what's actually there. Mm. So that's sort of the one piece of it. And then the other piece is there are a lot of practitioners in this realm that are a little bit more esoterical spiritual. And that's cool. And so it's like, I, I have had, of course, my own mystical experiences, um, as quite a lot of us have. And the essence for that really is like, I, I, I believe in, in oneness and I believe in love. And so some people think that they need to protect themselves. And I'm like, I don't, if, if I know that everything is love or an illusion, then I don't need to protect myself from it. And so part of that is getting, like I said, like people may have maladaptive behavior. They may actually be assholes. The essence really is all they're doing is trying to meet their own needs. And the way that they're doing that is maladaptive because that's how they learned it from childhood. They had to be an asshole to their parents to get their needs met. They had to be manipulative to get their needs met. They had to be quiet, you know, to get their needs met. And so these are all pieces that, many of us have learned through our childhood they had to be good enough they had to be perfect they had to be the overachiever to be loved to be recognized to to even you know on occasion you know be allowed to play i see so yeah a bit of a tangent but the essence really is is for me is all about you know like boundaries what's mine and what's everybody else's getting really clear on that and that's a great practice whether we're working in you know a clinical setting healing arts workshops or like you know going down to our local IGA. Like we need to be clear on like what's someone else's shit. And then the piece as well is just like giving it back to them and giving it back to them compassion. And in romantic relationships, this is so important. You just be like, that's just not mine. Mm. I'll hold space for you to process it, but please don't tell me it's mine. Right. And would you say that having a balanced glandular system and a strong nervous system enables us to assert our boundaries more effectively to stand up for ourselves and to kind of know what is ours and what is not ours. Like, is there, yeah, sure. it, it almost feels like it's about like to be truly compassionate and have good boundaries. It's like almost like you have to be an athlete in terms of like having a healthy glandular system, uh, nervous system. Oh, yeah. I mean, part of it is like the, the, the sort of like, as an example, the workload that I have here, like I do sauna and cold plunge every day. It's just, it's what I need to keep attuned. Mm -hmm. Part of the science of this is the HPA axes, which is the hippocampus pituitary adrenals. So when our adrenals fire, it shuts down our hippocampus and our pituitary gland. Pituitary gland is actually the gland that's responsible for empathy. So those of us in the population that have a strong capacity to be an empath, to be empathic, to sense and feel somebody else, we lose that when adrenaline is flooding into the system. And the reason is because if a tiger walks in here, I don't want to care about you. I want to care about me. So I have no capacity to feel anybody else in the space. So to be a good healer, to be a good space holder, we actually need to be having a low adrenaline tone so that we can stay empathic. And mm -hmm. so if we have good breathwork practices, if we have good daily practices, we're going to enable ourselves to keep adrenaline in a low tone, which allows us to actually make decisions from a highest conscious mind and also be empathic and understand and intuit the needs of other people. And if we're, if we're triggered, adrenaline is going to flood the system and that's just gone. That's not available to us anymore. Right. And so daily maintenance of that axis, the HPA axis is essential because otherwise we turn into cave dwellers and you know, like we're not going to get anywhere like individually or collectively in that way. And it's just like, it's shit when you're having a, 
a discussion that flares up with like your partner or your boss and there's adrenaline everywhere and no one, no one cares about anybody else. Everyone just thinks it's a target. So is it partly mindfulness? Like I remember one time I saw you get triggered uh, and then you, you started to name what was going on in your body. You're like, I'm starting to feel like my heart rate is increasing this and that. And, and like, it was amazing because I watched you name what was going on within your physical apparatus. And then in that, you were able to stay very calm. And then you taught like four days of breath work like a pro. <laughs> Thank you, bro. I remember that as well. <laughs> Triggered as fuck, for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, a level of a, there's a level of moving into the space of the witness. And I'm pretty resistant to, to two things that are happening in a really big way right now, especially with the... Uh, the, the thing that should not be named, but this general living situation that a lot of people are facing right now. One thing is mindfulness and the other one is positive thinking. And both of them, in my opinion, are fucking toxic. And the reason, and the reason is when we speak of mindfulness, I believe actually what it is is bodyfulness. Uh, and so it's actually about bringing our conscious awareness into the body. It's not about reinforcing the mind. Oh, I love that. And then the other one is, is ultimately is about this positive thinking, which is just suppression and denial of the actual emotional quality that's present within us. And for me, this is the very thing that creates illness and disease and separation and conflict. It's yeah. uh, an inability to listen to ultimately the blood chemistry that's moving through us and saying, I'm fine, everything's all right. And so like, part of the challenge is just to get people to admit that they're fucked up so that they can start owning it and make some changes. And, I mean, thankfully, in my own journey, I was just like, the shit's not right, and it's got to change. And, and that happened because I hit the bottom, bottom of the bottle. <laughs> and I was just like, enough's enough. Now, there's a certain quality where, like, when we have enough suffering in our life, we're going to make meaningful change. Because it's really, it, it is really uh, trauma and, and suffering can be a really powerful motivator. The essence is then just discovering the tools and being compassionate with ourselves and steady and continuing to work towards, you know, just creating more balance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to speak to that idea about mindfulness and bodyfulness, Vern, the elder, he, he gave me a teaching, which is so powerful. And it's this, it's the four directions. Mm -hmm. And it's a concept that we're a physical body with the mental capacity of the mind for discernment and judgment ultimately. We have emotion moving through us. And then we also have uh, the highest self, the observer. Mm. And so I love this way of, uh, of honoring body, mind, emotions, and spirit. And so ultimately, when we see that there's a, like a, a mental issue going on, invariably mindfulness the idea of strengthening the mind is the last thing that people need to do <laughs> what we actually need to do is get into the body feel the emotions and connect to spirit through walks in nature cold plunges um you know prayer and meditation connection as things of wonder and awe mm -hmm. that's so beautiful i love that because i've heard in eastern philosophies the the true mind is actually centralized in the body like in the heart and so the term bodyfulness really harkens to that because yeah, you're right. Like in Western culture, we associate the mind with the brain and we're up there yeah. as a culture. Yeah. Thank you, bro. I mean, that, the essence is the mind is in the body. The two are never separate. And um, the work of Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, BMC body mind centering has been massively mm. influential in my practices in my life. Mm -hmm. Just this, this idea that, you know, how we're moving is going to have an impact on organ function, blood chemistry, and which is going to change thinking. And it's just like, oh, okay. So like the brain, we have this idea in Western science and medicine, like, you know, that now we're healing that, but it's just like, oh, the brain's over here. And this happened in the 1600s from Catholicism. Mm -hmm. It was like the church, the church was allowed to keep the spirit and the brain and Western science got the body. Right. Or the mind. And it was just like, as soon as that split happened in the 1600s, that's what we're healing right now. We're right. coming back to the recognition that, no, no, this is actually one. I feel like it's easier to control people when they're just up in their heads. <laughs> and also, I've noticed that the more I practice bodyfulness, 
and being able to regulate my nervous system in a broader array of difficult situations, the more I feel my angels with me, the more I feel connected to the earth, uh, the more, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So it's kind of sad that the church did that because that's a great way to cut people off from their, their true spirituality so that they have to go through the priest to get to God rather than going through their body. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, the essence of that is, I mean, Christianity and all religions are beautiful. When you get into the raw essence of them, they're all the same. The, the problem comes when someone takes that and moves into a space of fear, misinterprets it, and then and replicates it. And then more people start believing it. And so for me, it's just unconsciousness breeding unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we strip that away, we can actually find, you know, beautiful deep meaning in that. I think, you know, the essence really is as soon as we move into fear, yeah, on the one hand, it's easier to be controlled. But on the other hand, we actually don't have discernment. We can't see what's true. And maybe just dropping into the current world situation, when we look at statistical data, there is no threat. Like, it's, it's so low. And yet, our behaviors have been so shifted based on an illusion. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's mind-blowing. And that's just such a great example of the HPA axes. You know, we've got just a lot of information saying there's a threat. There isn't, if you look statistically. However, because people perceive that there is, their adrenaline glands are fired, and now they're both buying toilet paper in Australia. I mean, it's fucked. Right. So what are some like, key tools that people can utilize to stay out of fear and in, in that loving presence? Um, is it like having good daily habits of like doing 20 minutes of breath work a day? Uh, can you share some hot tips that you can do when you're in a difficult situation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the bigger picture, Will, really is it's about two things. It's about cleaning up all of our, our past and at the same time not accumulating anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like twofold. On the one hand, my healing journey was unpacking my whole childhood whilst simultaneously attempting to not add any more trauma in that I would then have to clear. And then it kind of got to a point. I like to think of it like an S-curve. So it's like grass, grass grows with an S-curve. Random, random farming information here that Gus will appreciate. So it's like it grows really slow and then it goes through a growth spurt and then it goes really slow again. And I kind of like to think of the healing journey like this. It's like I'm a total mess and I don't know anything's going on. And then it's like, oh, I'm interested. And I start to actually unpack my childhood and my life starts. This is on this axis is ease and grace. So I, I start to live with way more ease and grace. And then I've unpacked everything from my childhood and now I'm just back to the like plateau again. So this vertical piece has basically been like the last six years of my life. And now I'm kind of in here where I'm like, I just, I don't need to do so much to maintain good optimum health. Mm. Because, you know, ultimately I just chipped away every day with movement and breath work. Mm. So that's like the overview. The piece around, I think like good daily habits. There's a few that like for me are really cornerstones. The first one is ensuring that the first hour of my day is mine. So what that means is, like, I wake up in the morning, my phone is on airplane mode, and it stays on airplane mode. I will put on, normally, Aquarian Sadhana in the morning, your, your epic album, and that will be the first hour of my day. And I will pause and I will listen, and I'll be like, what do I need today? And I might do conscious connected breathing. I might do the modified Kundalini breathing that, that I've learned with you. I might do some free movement and dance. I might do an Osho dynamic meditation where I'll just shake. I might do my Qigong ritual. Uh, I might lie on the ground and just do some proprioception. So that first hour is mine. And then I'm going to nourish myself, food, water, take a shower and cleanse. And I'll probably won't switch my phone off airplane mode until like the last moment possible in my day. It depends if I'm working or not. And then for me, it's a little different because I'm in the clinic, I have some structure. So in the middle of the day, I go and do my sauna and cold plunge. Mm-hmm. And I eat lunch and then I have a 15-minute meditation. And then the rest of the day, I'm in clinic again. And then in the evening, I'm going to do something that's, again, a self-regulating practice. Uh, you know, maybe some meditation, some sitting. I might, I might do some painting or some drawing or some, something creative. Um, like, like, like this one right here. And then... Uh, and then in the evening, again, just like airplane mode, just like get the phone on airplane mode. I choose when I connect with other people. They don't choose when I connect yeah. to them. 
that way around. You know, I don't want notifications pinging in. Uh, for me, uh, you know, my relationship with alcohol was was pretty challenging. So I'm really mindful about my usage. And again, it's not like there was a time where I had to stop drinking. I was like, I, I don't have enough self-control to be able to have one or two drinks. It's just going to be, it's, it's you know, one, one to 15 is the only ratio that I really had. So now I have this amazing capacity to actually enjoy a glass of wine or have a beer or even a margarita and just be like, you know, chilling by the beach and just like life's really great. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't like slip into like a spiral of a six day bender, you know? So, I mean, I now have, you know, a different handle on those things. So for me, I think there's a, there's a quality around moderation, but the biggest one is, is noticing if I drop into guilt. So it's like two nights ago, I went and ate a cheeseburger and had a glass of wine. And I could have guilted the shit out of myself because I had a terrible night's sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I felt shit. And in that moment, instead of beating myself up for it, because there's no way I could change it, it was in my large intestine, I'm like, all right, let's do some breath of fire and get this fucking thing moving. Uh-huh. And so, you know, an hour later, I'm feeling decent. But the essence is guilt and shame and the thought spiral that could have, could have happened with that would have been way worse than the actual burger. So yeah. I think, you know, having some things throughout the day where we can catch ourselves and return to that, in terms of the nervous system, connecting to our breath is going to be one of the most powerful things that we can do and not changing it. So firstly, just tapping in, finding it, and just witnessing it. And as soon as we move into the state of the witness, we're not thinking anymore. Right. And then looking around our space, looking for some colors, some textures, uh, noticing like some smells, some sounds. As soon as we connect to our senses, we get out of the thinking mind again and we start to orientate to our space. When we orientate, our nervous system naturally starts to downshift. We're like, oh, I'm at home. Oh, everything's okay. Oh, I've got toilet paper. You know, it's like we, we start to just be like, oh, this is all good. So, yeah, those would be sort of uh, just a few, a few things that I'd recommend. I mean, sleep hygiene is so important as well, just ensuring that, you know, here I am 11 p.m. talking about sleep hygiene when I'm just, I've just done breath work and I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> yeah. So it's classic, classic hypocritical teacher, right? <laughs> thank you for being with us. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for all your wisdom. Um, I, I want to open it up now to any questions. We have about eight minutes left. Does anybody have any questions for Edward? Just raise your hand. I'll unmute you. No? You guys good? Well, I can, oh, here we go. James. Okay, go ahead, James. Here we go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, I was wondering, um, yeah, how much breath work a day for someone who's like, I've done a bit of breath work sessions myself, but uh, how much would you be like, recommendations to someone who's just starting to clear out their, their stuff for the daily sort of thing? Yeah. Thank you, bro. It's a great, great question. You know, it, it really depends on our own capacity and resilience. So those are the two things is that how things are affecting us. And, uh, and what style of breathwork we're practicing. And so the style that I mostly teach and practice in the clinic is conscious connected breathing. Is that the, what, is that what you've practiced? Is that what you've? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. awesome. So the international guidelines for conscious connected breathing is that we have 10 sessions, either in a one-on-one or in a, in a group with a facilitator before we self-breathe before we actually drop into that technique. And so once you've had 10 sessions, you can explore on your own. And the recommendation is essentially you either do 15 minutes or you do an hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) There's no middle way. It's like, if you do 15 minutes, it's really grounding and regulating. Yeah. And if you go over that, you start to get into some of that potential early childhood stuff, which is then like, okay, let's take an hour and a quarter. So, my protocol with conscious connected breathing is in the morning, I will limit it to 15 minutes and I'll do a longer journey in the evening. So like uh, last night, actually, I, I, I breathe myself. I put on a soundtrack. I create a safe, safe container for myself and I drop into the breath and I ensure that I've got an hour and 15 minutes and then I'm going to go to sleep. So those are sort of the, that's how I use conscious connected breathing. I've had the great privilege of, of uh, co-facilitating with Will. 
And so Will, you know, he's taught me a lot of Kundalini. And I have a modified Kundalini practice. It's about 45 minutes in the morning. And most morning, I'd say like 80% of the mornings, that's my go-to right now. Mm. So it's a 45-minute breathwork practice first thing. And, you know, with what I've been through, it's just, it's just become a non-negotiable. Like mm. that first hour is just like, I'm not, I just, I'm never going to compromise it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, when we've, when we've been in a really shitty situation and we've been really challenged, I, I think we just level up with ourselves. And like one hour of my day compared to the other, you know, other hours that I'm spending, it's just so worthwhile. I've noticed it's impacting business and, you know, my friendships and productivity and all elements of my health. And it's just an investment. And I, I believe, you know, when we look back at most traditions and cultures, that was present. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at ritual we look at ceremony like those things were always there and i think it's actually our culture that we've lost touch with uh, with those things so i uh, i think it's great that we can get back to that so those would be my sort of recommendations around breathwork practices um, fantastic thank you yeah you're so welcome brother. i like uh, anthropologist wendy mandy says that anything outside of ceremony is not healthy for humans <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can work towards that. <laughs> it's like, you know, the other thing, you know, James, just speaking to this as well, you spoke, uh, and I really appreciate you sharing that. You spoke that you're starting to unpack some of these things that are within you and, and going a little bit deeper. And I'm loving that journey still. Like today, I did a really awesome uh, workout and fascial stretch program that was fascinating. And so it's like, this is a journey that I'm continuing on and that I will continue on for the rest of my life. And so it's, it's never going to be over or done. But now, I think one of the big differences now, it's actually enjoyable. Whereas in a pregnancy, it was really tough. And so there was a certain quality where I was like, you know, that first couple of years, I was like, fuck, I've really gone through this. And then it was just like, okay, this is actually fun. Like I can actually, I can actually move energy in my body or I can change my endocrine system or I can see how these little incremental changes are having a huge impact on my life. So I really appreciate where you're at and your share around starting to unpack some of that. And, yeah, it's great for me. You know, it was great to find teachers to support me, people who had, who had walked that way before and who kind of just were able to keep me on track and be like, yeah, you know, when your head drops, it's okay. Have some compassion for yourself. Take a break and come back to it. Mm. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <clears throat> Gus, you're on me. Are there any other questions? Gus has a question. I pressed unmute, but it doesn't seem to want to unmute. So there you go. I had to unmute myself. Hey, brother. Hey, Ed. Good to see you. You too. Uh, how you been? Yeah, really good, bro. Yeah, looks looks good. Um, I was just thinking, um, you had that amazing connection with Vern and the um, the native people in this area. Since you moved to Bali, have you um, been able to um, sit with uh, the local people there and um, integrate some of their cultural teachings into into your life there in Bali, or how how does that look over there? Yeah, thanks, bro. So um, it's really it's really interesting. There's a obviously there's a slight language barrier, and it's yeah. really interesting to see like the division between the Bulays, the white people, and the the Balinese. I, um, I've started to work with the staff of my clinic. So the Balinese staff of the clinic have started doing breath work with me. And then they're like, because they had no idea what I was doing. And then they're like, what is this? So I've started to, I, I've been gifting uh, two hours a week to Balinese people. Mm-hmm. So, so they'll get on the table. And uh, so that's been one way. And then interestingly enough, I have a, like every house, well, almost every house has its own temple. So my house here has its own little temple. It's just yeah. two statues. And so I was chatting this morning with a local Balinese lady. And we were just, we were shooting the breeze about, about traditions. And she's like, where are you from? And I was like, from Canada. And we started to talk about each temple has two pillars. And one pillar is the manifested. It's the land and the houses. And the other pillar is for the spirits, for the unmanifested. And so it's like, it's specifically that. It's like, it's the same as the, the, the Mother Earth and Father Sky. 
Mm -hmm. And so we got talking about this and, and the way that the, you know, the Balinese people have their offering and their prayer and it's pretty epic. So yeah, there's a lot of, um, well, daily ceremonies there. And so it, it'd be a fascinating one to drop into. I, I've only seen it from a very superficial white guy perspective when I've been there, but yeah, that's why I was interested to see how, how maybe you started to or tapped into it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a journey. It's just like, um, yeah, the local healers I'm starting to, to kind of make some inroads with and then the yeah. staff of the clinic and then just like the people in my, like I live right next to the local market here. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'm super integrated into the community in, in like geography and, and the way that is. And I don't live in like a big you know, white person villa with a swimming pool. I'm in the Bali house, like in the village, which is super cool. cool. But yeah, it's interesting. I, I uh, set an intention to sort of, you know, bridge that. And there's definitely some closure and some resistance to, to, to white people, which I'm coming up against. But hey, I mean, it was the same with, ultimately it was the same with First Nations. And it's just like, you just keep showing up, keep smiling. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually they get sick of you that they invite you. Give him what he wants so he can get out of here. <laughs> right. Nice work. Yeah. Work. We're just about out of time, but Edward, would you be willing to lead like a two or three minute um, outro meditation? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Awesome. Mm. Let's see. So maybe just <clears throat> finding some length through the spine and grounding down through the sits bones, wherever, however you're sitting and inviting you to close your eyes and drop inside and start to bring conscious awareness into the body temple. And let's, we're going to just move up through the energy centers. So bringing our conscious awareness into the tailbone and breathing in and out through the nose. So just allowing a steady flow, one continuous flow of breath, inhale, meeting the exhale. One flow of life force energy. Bringing all of our conscious awareness to the tailbone. We'll gently move up now just below the navel. So starting to feel the hips, the pelvis, and then now just below the navel, bringing all of our awareness, including now our breath, into that space, becoming aware of how we're breathing down through into the pelvic floor. We can feel the support of Mother Earth below us. And now gently bringing our conscious awareness into the kidney area, the third energy center. This is our space of personal power, feeling into the adrenal glands, becoming aware of the quality we may feel there. Noticing how our breath can fill this space also. We'll gently place our right hand onto our heart now. And starting to become aware of the fullness and expansive quality of the breath as it moves into our heart space. Staying grounded through the roots, through the support of the earth, feeling how the breath is moving up the spine, all the way into our right hand and our heart. And know that throughout this day and throughout this week, with every single breath, we can return to our heart, we can return to love. All my relations. Thank you. Thank so you all so much. Beautiful. Bodyfulness. Bodyfulness. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Let's just uh, think of a core desired feeling that you wish to embody today in your bodyfulness. And uh, on the count of three, we'll just shout, I choose full embodiment. I choose divine masculine, whatever it is. Just think of a core desired feeling that you choose. And on the count of three, we'll state it out to the universe. One, two, three. I choose to my divine. Awesome. And so it is. Edward, where can people find you online? 
Yeah, I think the best is probably on Instagram. This is my name, Edward Dangerfield. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out with any direct messages, any questions, any follow-ups. Uh, I usually devote a little bit of time each day to just replying to, to people that have any inquiries. There's also lots of information and, of course, the usual random weird shit that I'm up to on there as well. Awesome. <laughs> Love you, brother. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. And thanks to everybody. Yeah, what a day. Thank you all so much. Have a great Monday. Love to you all. I can write to Namaste. Thank you to Edward Dangerfield for tuning in and sharing his amazing wisdom with us. Breath work, nervous system, strength, health, well-being, men's work. He's such a wealth of information and such a loving soul. Really grateful for him. I wish you guys all a beautiful day. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And feel free to check out my music on iTunes. Just type in Will Blunderfield. I've got a few different versions of Hallelujah as well as some original mantra music and different covers. I've got five different albums out through Network and Sony Records and uh, some self-release stuff as well. I wish you guys a beautiful, beautiful day and I'll see you next week for another interview. Namaste. Hallelujah Hallelujah Your faith was strong you needed proof You saw her bathing on the roof Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you She tied you to her kitchen chair Broke your throne then cut your hair And from your lips she drew the heart It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a call